Luke chapter 11. Uh, we're going to talk about prayer, if you haven't figured that out already this morning. And uh, it's interesting, Colton uh, added a prayer there in his, uh, the, the praise music time. I didn't ask him to do that. I think that's how the Holy Spirit works sometimes. And, uh, you know, prayer is a key ingredient to having a home that honors God, to having a, uh, a home for husbands, for wives, fathers, mothers, for children. That's a key ingredient. And this morning in, in Luke chapter 11, we'll start there in verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, prayer's been in the, the news a lot, and I want to I ask you to, to guess at something. Uh, how long ago do you think the Supreme Court issued a ruling that prayer had to stop in public schools. Anybody have any idea? Okay, anybody else? 35? 55? Doug's closer with 55, 50 years ago. Can y'all believe that? In 1962, 1963, I heard somebody back there say it was sometime in the 60s, is when the Supreme Court issued... Uh, the ideal that prayer could no longer be prayed in public schools. Now, I know it didn't stop in public schools during that time because uh, when I was in the first grade, our pastor's wife was my first grade teacher, and we still prayed in the classroom. And I remember that conversation going on even a few years after that. And no, I wasn't in the first grade in 1962. Uh, matter of fact, I wasn't even born yet in 1962. I was born shortly after that. But... Uh, here recently, within the past probably 10 years or so, prayer has been back in, this, uh, in the court system in that the government or the Supreme Court again delivered a strong rejection of prayer, uh, forbidding invocation at school activities like football games. You know, for years, uh, even after prayer was taken out of, of schools, uh, you still had prayer at special events and uh, uh football games, and it, it was even uh, came to the point where if it was student-led, then it was okay. Well, they've even come back and said even student-led prayers at football games are unconstitutional. Chief Justice William Reinhurst, he said this about the ruling, it bristles with hostilities to all things religious in public life. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, it bristles with, with hostility. And we've talked as Christians over uh, really the last couple of years about how uh, if you're a born-again Christian, then uh, as far as most of the secular world's concerned, they don't want to hear from you. And this, this ruling even bristles with hostility. As I was studying for this, uh, I was looking some things up. Do you know that in, the, uh, uh, in our government meetings and stuff, prayer is still allowed? And they voted on that a year ago, May the 5th, 2014. And even though by a narrow margin, it still passed. <laughs> That, that in our government meetings, prayer is still allowed, but still the government and the Supreme Court has held that out of, uh, that out of schools. And I don't know what you think, but in my opinion, the Supreme Court is out of step with most of the people in our society because, 
USA Today, who is a secular magazine, they published a survey that showed 78% of Americans still support prayer in public schools. Now, this sermon today is not about prayer in public schools. It's just about prayer in general. But to think about this, a secular magazine who interviewed not a base group of Christians, but just in their general, in their general interview, in their general, uh, 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 what do you call that when you go back and try to question people, the general poll or whatever I'm looking for, y'all help me out on those when I get stumbled. Uh, 78% of Americans say, yeah, I think that would be okay. Chuck Colson, in his Breaking Point commentary, he had this to say about the ruling. Maybe we should let the court know that they've gone too far. Many good Texans, I suspect, will go to a football game this fall and defy the court's order. And wouldn't it be a sight if in stadiums filled across, filled across our country, filled with God-fearing citizens, would raise to their feet and recite the Lord's Prayer together. Wouldn't that be something? You know, there's nothing the government could do about that, would it? If, if we as Christians just decided at the, the very beginning to stand and just recite the Lord's Prayer, there's nothing against uh, a ruling against us to be able to do that in our church. So let's do that this morning. Let's stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, we'll take care of that today because... Uh, this prayer is, is for those who are Christians. This prayer is God talking to Christians. And I want you to recite, not by memory, but what's going to be up there because it's going to be a little different probably than the prayer you may have memorized. And Christ said to them, when you pray, say, and y'all join with this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us of our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. All right, y'all can be seated. Now, if you were quoting from memory, you were quoting from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. It's, it's a little more to that prayer there, isn't it? I used that, Luke 11, for a purpose, and I'll get to it in just a moment. Uh, but Luke 11 is Jesus teaching on prayer. And uh, it's a, uh, a prayer that's real similar to the prayer that you read there in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. But uh, most of us here are probably familiar with that prayer. Not everyone is. Uh, I read a, a story about two men were walking one day, and one guy challenged his buddy saying, If you're so religious, let me hear you quote the Lord's Prayer. And I bet you $10 you can't do it. The religious buddy said, uh, okay, I can do that. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, what's the last word? I pray the Lord my soul to sake. The first guy looked at him, shook his head, pulled out ten bucks and said, man, I didn't think you could do it. <laughs> you know, uh, so not everyone is familiar, and that's really true. And before we launch into our text this morning, uh, I want us to address this prayer and what Jesus meant when he was teaching his disciples to pray. And whether Jesus intended his disciples or for us to repeat this prayer pervadum, in other words. And there's a couple of things I want us to think about. I want to give you some thoughts this morning about this prayer. 
Jesus is here. His disciples says, teach us to, to pray. And the first thing is this. Don't just recite it. Don't just recite that prayer. On one hand, we're to pray this prayer because it's scriptural, but any time we take a prayer message and pray it back to God, uh, we're doing that to bring Him glory. So, so let's, let's look at the reasons we wouldn't cite this prayer verbatim. And, and I have four reasons for us to look at. And the first is this. This prayer is recorded twice in Scripture, and the wording's different on both occasions. I, as I said, most of y'all that have probably memorized this prayer, remember Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. And, and when we read this prayer in, in Luke chapter 11, it's not the same words verbatim. It, it, do you think Luke, the doctor, would have skipped something in his prayer? I think not. I think this is another occasion that Jesus continued his teaching on prayer. So, so if we think we're supposed to say this prayer, uh, Christ wouldn't have gave us two different prayers if he expected us to repeat that prayer exactly how he said it. The second thing, then disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us a prayer, did they? They didn't say, Lord, I want you to teach us a prayer that we ought to pray. They just said, Lord, would you come and would you teach us how to pray? So when we look at the Lord's Prayer, is what we call it in Matthew, and we look at Christ's teaching on prayer, we need to realize that Christ took his disciples, he took his closest followers there, and he began to teach them and saying, this is how you should pray. In this manner, you should pray this way. So he's not giving us a prayer that we need to memorize. He's not giving us a prayer that we just need to repeat. He's simply telling to his disciples, this is how you are to pray. The third thing is this. Jesus warns us against repetitive prayers. Over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, the King James Version says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. So Jesus tells his disciples there, when you pray, don't just repeat the same old words over and over and over. When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. So Jesus kind of warned us against that using that repetitive prayer. And the last thing, and, and let me stop right there to say before we get to the last thing, that's not to say we're to quit praying for something. If you're praying for salvation for someone, if you're praying for deliverance from someone, if you're praying about financial needs, you know, we can still bring that to God. But, but Christ is saying those vain repetitions and, and what he's talking about there, the Pharisees, they thought that they would be heard for their many words. Y'all remember Christ said that? They think they'll be heard for, for those fancy words and those many things that they say. That's what Christ is addressing here. He's not addressing us bringing our, our petition before God. And, and the other thing we need to remember in prayer is when we confess our sins... What's the Bible say? He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And we sing a song that says he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. When we confess our sins to God, he's forgiven us, he's forgot them. We don't need to keep praying that God would forgive us of those same old sins. When we confess, we repent, we change our ways, God's forgave them, he's forgot them, he's thrown them away. We need to be able to do the same thing. So, so as we confess our sins, we don't need to be just over and over praying for those same sins that God has always forgiven us for. The last thing, this prayer is to be repeated, or this prayer is repeated nowhere else in the New Testament. If Christ was teaching us to pray that prayer, surely he would have recorded it 
throughout the Bible in, in the New Testament. Surely we'd have found over in the Gospels or, I mean, found over in the, the epistles that, that he would have said, hey, here's this prayer. Remember this prayer. I want you to pray this prayer. He would have repeated it over and over and over, but it's not found anywhere else in Scripture. So clearly, Jesus is not intending or teaching his disciples to pray this prayer in particular. He just says, hey, here's how I want you to pray. I don't want you to memorize this prayer necessarily. It's much deeper than that. Jesus said, I'm going to model a prayer for you. So when we read this prayer where Jesus is teaching, simply think of that as this. Jesus is modeling a prayer for us. He's saying, hey, here's a model prayer. Here's something that when you pray, your prayer should look something like this prayer. And, and it's kind of broken up into two different sets, and we're going to work on the first set this morning because I want to leave you with something to think about this morning. Now, let me say this. There is not a wrong way to pray, okay? Don't, don't simply say, boy, if I'm going to pray, I've got to have this and this and this. God, we, we, if we talk to our fathers, do we have some kind of special words we have to use? We really don't, do we? Now, I don't want to diminish God to the point of us thinking of, our, of simply our earthly fathers, but we're going to look at a scripture in just a moment that says that's what God the Father is. And when we go before God the Father, we should recognize him as our Father. But, but three, di- two di- uh, three different sets or three different elements. The first three, listen to this, Father, that's the first, hallowed be your name, that's the second, and your kingdom come, that's the third. All three of those deal with God's glory. They all deal with God. And so the first part of this prayer, Jesus says, when we pray, we're going to deal first with God's glory and God's power. Secondly, the other three is this, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, and lead us not to temptation. You know what those deals with? Those deal with our needs. So Jesus is teaching. He looks at his disciples. He said, when you pray... First, you're going to deal with God's glory. Secondly, you're going to deal with your own needs. So, so prayer is, is beginning with the character of God. That's where it begins. As we pray, we're, we're dealing with God's character. And the reason we pray and the reason God answers our prayer is for himself and for his glory. You know, we can look at all kinds of scripture that says, when you pray, we need to pray that God's will would be done and and. Peter and James also tells us when you pray, don't pray with your own selfish motives, but pray that God's will would be done. And we the says we we our prayers aren't answered sometimes because we ask amiss. In other words, we ask with the wrong motives. So so Christ says when you pray, first we're going to deal with God's glory. And I've kind of got a an outline that we're going to go over. The first is this: we're going to look at the parenthood of prayer, the parenthood of prayer, and that begins with. The Father. The second thing, we're going to look at the, the primacy of prayer. The supreme being is who? That's our Father. And we're going to look at hallowed be your name. And the third thing we're going to look at, we're going to look at these three this morning. The platform of prayer, and that's God's kingdom. So we're going to look at the parenthood is the Father. The primacy is hallowed be your name. The third is this, your kingdom come. The last three we'll look at next week is the provision of prayer. That's God give us our daily bread. The, the pardon of prayer, forgive us our sins. And the protection of prayer was leading us not into temptation. So we begin this this morning, and we're just getting started. And it says this, first, Lord, teach us to pray. And let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1 again. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus was a source of continued amazement for his followers. I wish in our church, I wish in my life, that I could continually be amazed by Christ. You know, sometimes we've placed Christ in a place that we're not amazed anymore. We simply are going through the motions. His disciples walked with him. They spoke with him. And you may say, well, if we could do that, stop right there. We can do that. We talked about the resurrected Savior last Sunday. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. He walks with me. He talks with me. No matter what others may say, we serve a risen Lord. And today, if we spend some time in God's Word and we spend some time seeing His wonders that fill the sky, I think we'll be amazed at what God does and what Christ is today. But they watched everything Christ did. They listened to everything He said. So they begin to get a picture of who Christ was. Jesus is praying again. His disciples are standing there around him as he prays. I imagine they're listening to his prayer. They're probably amazed by his prayer. <coughs> and after he gets through and says, Amen, one of them kind of courageously asked this question to him. They just looked at him, and, and they're all wondering about his prayer life. And one of them said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you just come and would you... Teach us to pray. And there's several things about that request that kind of amaze me. The first is this. One is his disciple brings up the subject of prayer, not Christ. Just think about that. Nowhere in Scripture till we get right here does Christ talk to his disciples about prayer. Even though he considered that vitally important, he didn't initiate the topic. And I was wondering why, and I think it's because... He wanted his disciples to conclude on their own how important prayer was. You know, he didn't start out just right off the bat saying, hey, you need to pray, and I want to teach you to pray. I think as he gathered his disciples and, and he began to pray day after day and time after time, then, then he said, you know what, my disciples are finally going to realize this is important. For some of us as Christians... Honestly, we probably haven't reached the point in our life of realizing how important prayer is. Amen? I mean, we probably haven't really thought about that's the most important thing we have in our Christian life is prayer. Once we've accepted Christ, the most important thing that we have is the ability to go before God and the ability to praise our God and the ability to come and say, God, I need you to, to protect me. I need you to protect my children. I need you to protect my home. God, I, I, need to, I need you to lift me up when I'm down. We have a great privilege in prayer, and I think sometimes we miss that. And by the way, this is the only time in the Gospels where we read of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them anything. Do you realize that? Nowhere else in the Gospels do we read that the disciples came to Jesus and asked them to teach them something. And we might think as they... Uh, come and, and say, Jesus, I want you to teach me something, we might think, well, they, they might have said, Lord, teach me to preach like you do, or teach me to teach like you do, or, or Lord, teach me to perform miracles like we've seen you do. They, they could have asked for any of those things. They never did. It's never recorded that they asked for those things. They simply came before God and said, said, Christ, I need to learn to pray as you would pray. 
I hope today you as Christians and, and as we gather today, we would say, Lord, I just want to, I want you to teach me how to pray as you would pray. As I said earlier, there's not a wrong way to pray. So if you were called on this morning to pray, I, I wouldn't want you to think, oh, I'm going to have to think and I better use the right words and the right terms. I want you simply to say, you know what, I'm going to be open. And I'm going to say, Christ, today, would you teach me to pray as you prayed? Jesus knew the power of a good example. The first thing is, he, the disciples brings up the subject. The second, Jesus knows the power of a good example. I've kind of already touched on that. He, he set aside a time to pray. He set aside a time to pray with his disciples, a, a corporate time of prayer. He, he set a time to pray uh, on his own. And I think he had that example, that he had placed that example before him. I thought about this, a good example of prayer. What kind of, what kind of examples do we have in our life of prayer? Others are watching us. Others are seeing. It's interesting. Denise and I went out to eat last Saturday night, I think. We sat down. A man, a boy, and another man came in. Uh, they sat down. They blessed their food. And, I, boy, I noticed that just like that. And I said, boy, how great is that, that this little young guy here is seeing his dad pray in public. How great is that? And then last night we went, night before last, Friday night, we went to eat. And we sat down and ate, and a couple came in and sat down at the table next to us, and, and they prayed when their food came. And you know what? It's, as simple as that may be, that's a good example, isn't it? That was a good example for us. Now, we prayed too, and, and we prayed last Friday night also. But to realize people around you are looking, and folks in your home, are you setting that good example of prayer? I grew up in a church, First Baptist Church of Fairview, and, and we were taught the Bible from the time we were children. As we grew up through our years, I remember so many of my, my Sunday school teachers and how they taught us there and how we spent some time in prayer and we were taught about tithing and obedience and, and all the things in Scripture. And, and there was an example of prayer. And folks, Christ used the example of prayer that others might see the importance and the effectiveness of prayer. The third thing is this. The disciples were not known for their praying. Do you find that in Scripture anywhere? Where the disciples were really known for their praying? I don't know of anywhere in the Gospels where the, the disciples were characterized as men of prayer. We just don't see that. They often watched Jesus pray, but they didn't enter into prayer themselves. And the fact is, in the hour of Jesus' greatest need... The time that Jesus had the greatest need, what did disciples do? They took a nap. They didn't fall to their knees, their eyelids fell shut, and they fell asleep. When Christ looked at them and said, pray for me, and they simply went and they simply fell asleep. So as they think about the disciples, we don't need to characterize them as, well, the disciples were these great men of prayer. And, and could I ever be that? The disciples simply looked to Jesus as one who to teach them to pray. And I think as I thought about that, we're kind of the same way. I think we're kind of like those disciples. Sometimes in the, the greatest need, we don't understand how important prayer is and, and our, our greatest asset in prayer. And, and Jesus knows that we need that, so he modeled his prayer. And for too many of us, we fall short of that. So... I want us to learn, and I want us to look at how Jesus said this is how we should pray. Now, all with all that, so we can get to the first point of this. Verse 2, that was verse 1. Verse 2 begins with this, And when you pray, Christians, I want to point out one thing. 
Christ didn't say to us, if you pray, did he? He said, when you pray. And Christians, we need to be praying. And when we pray, even though it was just one disciple who wanted them, uh, wanted Christ to tutor them in prayer, just one disciple asked that question. Jesus used a plural pronoun to answer that. So he, he looked at them and said, indicating to all of them, this prayer is a corporate element. It has a corporate element to it. We come together and we pray kind of as a corporate body. Now, there's also time that we pray just one-on-one with God. He talks about when we enter into our prayer closet. This is how we should pray. In this instance, as he talks about kind of a corporate group of prayer, and he says to all his disciples, one came, Lord, teach us to pray. Then he looks at all his disciples. He includes them all in. So this morning, he includes all of us in here this morning as he talks about how we pray and when we pray. And he says this, as you pray, pray in this manner. Now for us, our prayer sometimes is selfish. Sometimes our prayer, we come before God and we throw a bunch of I and me and mine in our prayers. And, and Jesus taught his disciples, he said, listen, I have a different way. And he begins this, listen, give us our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. Lead us not into temptation. But he says, here's how we begin. And I, don't worry, I know it's 1146, and, and I know that some of you are saying, I'm ready to move on from this topic already. But you know what? Satan will come. It says in Matthew that God's word is spread, and it's like seed that's thrown out. And Satan will come and gobble up that seed that it won't take root in our hearts. And folks, when it comes to prayer, you better believe that Satan would love to come gobble up those seeds that God is planting in our heart that it would not take root and we wouldn't have a powerful prayer life. If we had a powerful prayer life in this church, I don't believe we could contain the people that would be coming here. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe prayer is the most important thing we have in this church. And I believe if we'll get plugged into that power source, we'll be amazed at what God does in the life of this church and in the life of each of us. The first thing he says here, the fatherhood of prayer, father. And you know that's probably the term we use the most in prayer, and that's rightly so. I want you to think about this. Jesus is teaching you this morning. It's not me this morning. The Bible says the Holy Spirit moves among his people the Bible says the Holy Spirit is our teacher. So this morning, if you'll open your hearts and open your mind what God has for you, he's teaching us when we pray, we begin with the fatherhood of God. In his prayers, Jesus used that term more than 70 different times as he prayed. He prayed that his father to his father, which was in heaven. The only prayer he ever prayed without using that term, my father, was when he was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time he didn't use his father in prayer. That was during the time that he was bearing the sins of the world. And the Bible says God can't look upon sin and God turned his face away from his own son while he bore the sins of the world. And Christ cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So in these terms... Christ says when we pray, we're to go to our Heavenly Father in those childlike trust of a father. So when we enter into that time of prayer, he wants us to go before him and bring our praise to him as our Heavenly Father. 
like our Father is, and, and He's a Father that's waiting for us to leap within His arms during our time of prayer. And we pray to our Father. In Romans 8.15, it says that we receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you're born again, when you've accepted Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit of God who makes us children of God in which we cry out to Him, Abba, Father. Hear that scripture. When we receive the Holy Spirit, He makes us children of God in which we cry out, Abba, Father. I know I've taught you and I know you've heard and, and you've probably been taught in Sunday school that term, Abba, Father, which is a, was a term of, of endearment or a term of, of tenderness that would be uh, a term that we would use today as Daddy. That same term. And Christ communicates to us when we pray, we are praying in the intimacy, in the, the, the nearness of God. So when we pray together and we lift our voices together, and when you pray alone, you, you really enter into that intimate relationship with your heavenly Father. As a Christian, a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit has made us a child of God. Who was Christ? He was all God, but what else was He? He was all man. He was God's own Son, and the Holy Spirit puts us even with Christ. Isn't that great to think about this? And that's just not me. The, the Bible says we're heirs and, and joint heirs with who? Christ Jesus. What's an heir? It's someone that received the blessings from the Father. We're joint heirs. We're, we're with Christ, and, and we cry to Christ, Abba, Father, that term of endearment. And, and we don't have to go through a, a bunch of churchy words and a bunch of formalities and a bunch of different ideals as we come before the Father. We just come to the Father. We come without fear. We come without retribution. We come without shame. We, we just enter the presence of our Father. As we pray, we come boldly into His presence with, with eagerness to learn the prayers. And you know what the good part of that is? Our Father in heaven... He's eager to hear your prayers. Isn't that great? When your child comes to you, aren't you eager to hear what they have to say unless it's five in the morning? I mean, aren't you just ready to say, hey, I want to hear about it. Tell me what's going on. Uh, well, God the Father, He's eager to hear our prayers even at five in the morning. He's, he's ready to, to hear our prayers. So when we pray, we pray, our Father, let's bow our heads. And let's pray in that manner now. Father, Lord, we come before you now, and Father, we recognize you as not some government official on the throne. We, we don't recognize you, Father, as someone who's far away. And we don't recognize you as a judge sitting on a throne waiting to throw down a conviction. But I pray that as we consider our prayer life, that we would know that we come before you as our heavenly dad, our heavenly father. We come boldly before you. We come without shame before you. And we recognize who you are, our father. And we recognize who we are, your children, and we offer this prayer through the name of Jesus. Amen. The second thing, the priority of prayer. And the priority of prayer is this. After we acknowledge God as our Father, after we acknowledge Him, 
Jesus instructs us to this, hallowed be your name. Now this morning I want you to just think about it. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean? If, we, if we're going to pray, and, and I don't know if y'all use this term, but I don't use that term hallowed much, you know. Uh, if you say Halloween, well, you're saying that's all Hallow's Eve. We don't even want to go there, okay? We'll talk about that in October. But hallowed would be the name. He's intimate like a father, but listen, he is infinite in holiness. And when we look at that term, the nature of God is like our heavenly father. He's like our daddy in heaven, but his name is holy. And it should be recognized as being holy. As we enter into the presence of God, we don't need to really think about God as our, the big guy in the sky or, or our buddy up in heaven. No, he's a holy God. And when we recognize he is our heavenly father, but he is holy and, and he is the, the God of Israel and he's the God of all creation and, and before everything was, he is I am. And even though he's our heavenly father, our, our heavenly dad, when we go before him, we recognize not only is our father, but, but he is a holy God. And we recognize the holiness of God, so we hallow his name. And, and for that word, hallow, it, it carries two different ideals in the Greek. The first, listen to this, it intends to make an ordinary thing extraordinary by bringing it in contact with the extraordinary Hear that again. The word in the Greek means to take an ordinary thing and to make it extraordinary by bringing it into contact with something that's extraordinary. Now, I'm using extraordinary twice. An ordinary thing becomes extraordinary when it's brought into something that is extraordinary. So the holiness of God, when we pray, we take our ordinary person of who we are and we come in the presence of an extraordinary God, and we're extraordinary at that point. You know what that means? The Bible says this, Be holy in 1 Peter 1.16, because I am holy. Folks, we can't be holy. In our nature, we can't be holy, but we can be holy through God the Father. So when we come before God, and He says, Hallowed be your name, Holy would be your name. We come in the presence of our Heavenly Father and we're made holy in the presence of God. Isn't that great? I mean, we're, we're holy before God through our time of prayer. We come into the presence of God. We hallow His name. We're made extraordinary because we're in contact with an extraordinary God and we're holy because God is holy and we recognize that. The second meaning for that word hallow, it means to make something God's name is, is matchless. It's, it's, it's made in awe. It's, it's, it's something that he says we might obey him, that we might walk on him, that, that it would be something we represent in our daily lives. So if we hallow something, we make it a part of everything we do. In other words, God would look at us and say, or people would look at us and say, hey, there's something different about that person he has a different look about her. She has a different uh, uh, mannerism about her. There's something that shines. Have y'all met people like that? Have you just met somebody that you can say, you know what, I just know that person's a Christian. I can just tell. I can tell by the way they act. You know what they've done? They've hallowed the name of God. They've made it where somebody could recognize that they hallow the name of God. 
So when we think about the second part of this prayer that we see, Christ says we're to hallow the name of Jesus. We're to come into his presence. We're to be holy because God is holy. And then we're to go out in the world and others are to see that we hallow ourselves through God. Martin Luther said that God's name is made holy among us. Our God's name is hallowed among us. Listen, when both our doctrine and our living are truly Christian. You know what he's saying? When what we profess on Sunday morning in church and how we live Monday through Friday in the world, when those look one and the same, then we've hallowed the name of Jesus. And let's pray together as we think about this. Father, I pray as we come before you, our presence, our, our Heavenly Father, our Dad, Father, I pray that we would recognize that you are holy and that we're in the presence of a holy God. And because we're in the presence of a holy God, we too are made holy, not because of what we've done, but through the blood of your Son, we're found to be holy in your presence. And Father, I pray that we would realize that we serve an awesome God. I pray, Father, that ye, we would not leave this place today and simply be hearers of the word, but Father, we would hallow your name this work week, that when others from around us would see who we are and how we respond, that they might recognize us as someone who is different, someone who has been made holy in the presence of God. And Father, I pray that your name would be hallowed not only in this place, but Father, in every area that we might go and that we might be. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The last thing this morning, y'all let me finish up. If anyone needs to go on emergency or something, we you go ahead and go. It won't take us but a minute. It's noon. The last thing is this, the program of prayer, the program. And the program of prayer is this, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. That's, that's the last area we see as we, we say, Almighty God, take control of my life for your glory. That's what that means. If you've prayed that prayer and you've read that prayer and you've seen all these things and you just says, your kingdom come, what does that mean? That really means that in my life, may I live my life that you would be glorified. That's how we might say that today. As Christ is teaching his disciples, he said this, pray this way, first, Father in heaven, pray this way, may your name be hallowed. Lastly, pray this way, that your kingdom might come. As we think about that in our everyday lives and as we think about what it would be like, can you imagine what would happen if we were preoccupied with the things of God? Imagine what would happen. If our days we were just simply preoccupied with the things of God. In other words, anytime we came across something, anytime we responded to something, we were just, our first thought was this, well, how, can, how can God be lifted up during this time? You know the little bracelet. Do people still wear the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Bracelets. You know what that's saying? That's saying, God, I want you to. I want your kingdom to come in my life. What would you do in this situation? How should we respond in this situations? We we don't need to pin our hopes on what the court said about school prayer this morning when we were talking about that. And and it's easy for us to all jump on board and say, Man, 
our government's all goofed up and they won't let us have prayer in school and we can't have prayer at football games and, and I, don't, I don't agree with all that. Are we having prayer in our homes? Are, are we having prayer if we have opportunities in our churches? Let's start here and say, God, I want you to be lifted up. I want your will to be done in the life of my home, in the life of my family, in the life of my children. Then the school stuff will take care of itself. If we're lifting up God and it's His kingdom's being done in ourselves and in our children who are born again Christians to go into school, prayers in school, that can never be taken out if there's Christians in school. Your word kingdom means God's rule or God's reign within our lives. When we pray, Lord, your kingdom be done, your kingdom come, we're simply praying, God, would you rule and would you reign within my life? Three things and we'll close. The first, as we pray that, starts with conversion. That's the first part of that prayer. It starts with conversion. We pray that people would bow before Christ and get saved. When we pray, that should be part of our prayer. That people would come to know the Lord. Our family members, our friends, our co-workers, our community members, that needs to be part of our prayer. God, that your kingdom would come in, in our life. Your will be done on this earth. That's conversion. The second part, it takes commitment. As believers, we need to pray, Lord, that we would be committed, that he would be the center of our lives. Lord, your will be done when we pray that. We're saying, Lord, I pray for conversions for others. I pray that you'd be the center of my lives. And then the last thing, and I think this is what we always think about, consummation, that, that's that, that the, the, the heaven would come that we look forward to. When Christ says, I'm going to return and, and his feet are going to be on the Mount of Olives and he's going to, a new heaven and a new earth is going to come. That's part of God's kingdom. But as we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, it starts with this. God, would you be glorified in my life and what I do, would it glorify you in your kingdom? Let's bow our heads together and this will be our closing prayer this morning. When we pray that prayer, God because you're my king. Do what you want to do in my life and the life of others. May your kingdom come. We, we sing a song that says, May your kingdom be established in our praises as your people declare your mighty worth. And Father, I pray this morning as we Consider our prayer lives as we sit at your feet and listen to your teaching as your disciples did. I pray it would be our desire this morning that we might learn to pray as you prayed. Father, I pray that we'd recognize that you are a loving Father who just desires so much to hear from your children, to hear that, those those worship words and those words of praise and those words of thanksgiving from your children. Father, I pray that your will would be done in our lives. In each decision we make, in each step we take, that your will would be done. That it would be done for the building of your kingdom and for the growing of your kingdom. And Father, I pray that your name would be hallowed. That we would walk as children of light. That we'd recognize that we live, we breathe, we operate 
in the holiness of our Father. And I pray that that would be displayed in the actions of your children. Lord, I pray this morning that all the foolish babble that I spit out this morning would be ordained by your Spirit, that it would fall on our hearts and we'd have a spirit of understanding, and, Father, that we would put into practice what we've learned through the example of your prayer. Lord, I pray for the prayer life of this church. I pray for my prayer life, and I pray, Lord, that we truly would take some time to commit to you, recognizing you as our Father, hallowing your name, and praying that your will would be done, that your kingdom would be established in our lives and ultimately upon this earth. And Father, go with us now, and I pray as we leave this place today that you would be pleased with your children in this place as we've lifted our voices to you, that you would be pleased with the sweet aroma of praise and worship that's been lifted in this place. And Father, that we would turn to you, that we would fix our eyes upon you, that you would lead us and direct us. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning, and you're dismissed.